Hello, I'm Martin. And I'm Angelina. And this is the CX Cast. Welcome back to the CX Cast. I'm joined as ever by my co host, Angelina. Hello. And today we are doing something slightly different. Every year at Forrester, we indulge ourselves in creating what we call predictions. So we look at trends for last year, we look ahead to the following year, and we try to work out what's coming. And we're going to run a series of podcasts about some different industry predictions leading into what it means for CX leaders, you, the audience. And today I'm joined by two of my two of my older colleagues, actually, because I started in retail at Forrester before I kind of switched defected teams to CX team. I'm joined by Sucharita Kodali and Fiona Swerdlow. So hello to both of you. Hello, hello. Hi, Martin. Hi, Angelina. Nice to work with you again feels like ages since I've spoken to you. It has been. So we are going to talk about retail today because that's where both of you guys focus. So let's start with, I'm not going to start with what is retail. I think we all know the answer to that, but what's going on in retail? What are the, what are the kind of key big industry trends that we need to ground ourselves in to start with? Well, why don't I go ahead and start and talk a little bit about some forecast data that we have, because yes, we are, we are lucky enough to have that. So I'll talk about U.S. forecast data, so how big is the retail market here. And the reason I'm going to talk specifically about the U.S. market is simply because we have a brand new forecast that I'm going to talk about for a moment, and we will have a new forecast for Europe 5 markets coming out in a couple months later this year, so definitely check back for that. So that is, that is what I will focus on for the moment. So what's happening in the U.S.? So total U.S. retail sales by the end of this year, 2023, just for perspective, will come in at $4.8 trillion. Yep, trillion with a capital T. And that's about 4% year-over-year growth. Now for 2024, we anticipate 4% year-over-year growth again. And so we expect total U.S. retail sales to come in at about $5 trillion. And we're expecting that $3.8 trillion of that will actually happen offline, meaning primarily in stores. And $1.2 trillion will happen directly online. So we're talking about a quarter of total U.S. retail sales in 2024 actually happening directly online. And if you're wondering about which categories actually dominate online retail sales in the U.S., we look at things like clothing and footwear, consumer electronics, food and drink and household goods, a lot of that being in the grocery particularly, things like tools and home improvement, uh, computer hardware and peripherals, and that makes up about 54% of those online sales. The one other thing that I'll just say briefly, because I know this is a bit data heavy here, is we've also found that total U.S. retail sales are highly digitally influenced, meaning well over half of total U.S. retail sales today are influenced in some way, shape, or form by digital. If we think about all those investments that CX professionals, that the digital leaders are making, the thing to remember about those digital investments, uh, so if you're thinking about your website, your mobile app, your mobile site, and so forth, all that digital content about your products and services, that is incredibly important, not only for your online sales, but very much they drive sales in your stores as well. So lots of exciting things ahead in 2024. 
So one of the things that we find in uh, in the banking industry in particular, when we look at our CX index data, is physical journeys, digital journeys, hybrid journeys, where they cross the two. It's the hybrid journeys that seem to be working better for a lot of customers in a lot of markets. So there's something about that physical digital experience that really resonates with banking customers. Do you see the same thing happening in retail? Yeah, for for sure. I think that a lot of retailers knew that customer that touches multiple channels is worth more. Those are consumers that that are the most loyal shoppers, the ones that are most likely to use your website and any other digital touch points, but also your physical store too. So there, there's no question about that. And I think that that's been probably the single biggest reason that when we think about CX, a lot of it is about those digital touch points. But I think that historically, when you think about the digital ch- touch point, it's usually the end-to-end e-commerce experience. But I think that we are seeing more of an investment and a focus in exactly, Martin, to your point, these cross-channel experiences. It could be anything from using a mobile phone in the physical store to Wayfind, where you may be if it's a big box store. It could be all of the different things that you may be needing as a shopper if you're buying online and picking up something in a store, curbside, or whatever the fulfillment process may be. It could be a locker these days. So all of those are absolutely important. We're also seeing more investment in um, the store associates using their hybrid experiences because you're seeing more apps being built that are store associate facing that give the store associate more real-time data about inventory that they can use to support the shopper experience or to do whatever they may be doing in the store. It's often like filling orders these days. So absolutely, um, the hybrid part is, is crucial and that complicates, I think, a lot of the CX tasks because it's not just your e-commerce site, but it's more than that. We should probably pause here before shifting to your predictions because you're talking about some very tangible trends that are already emerging. And at Forrester, for the audience's benefit, we design predictions around existing trends, existing data, um, and try to look at what the projection of what we're observing now. So m- my question is of Everything you're mentioning here is—is is there a particular prediction that that you want to share with that you're willing to share with us that stands out based on those emergent trends? So there, there are a few different ways that I can I can answer this. Obviously, the e-commerce is growing. Fiona talked about all of those um, huge numbers that that showcase how much e-commerce is growing. And then when you go down the e-commerce funnel, there are so many things that impact a retailer's economics, like returns, for instance. So returns online are much higher than returns in physical stores. And there are categories, like for instance, huge online categories like apparel, where they have enormous return rates. Some apparel companies have return rates as high as 50%. On average, it's more like a 30% return rate that's substantially higher than even the physical store experience. And that's created an enormous expense for a lot of retailers. So one of our predictions is that a lot of these companies are going to actually have to invest, um, often to their detriment, to make returns easier for 
consumers because if they don't, they are going to lose share. Retail is so competitive and there's been this backlash against um, very, very frictionless returns um, because it's almost been like an arc where in the beginning, in the early days of, of, of online shopping, you had like a Zappos like, you know, no holds barred, anything can be returned at any time um, at enormous expense to the retailer. And then there was a little bit of, you know, whoa, that's a little too much. We don't need to be getting back used merchandise. We don't need to be getting back stuff that absolutely has no resale value or that people are basically wardrobing. They're like wearing the product or using the product and then returning it. But what we also see is this this push toward really making returns less of a cost center. And what that means is that it should be good for the shopper because it's easier for, for you, the shopper, but then the burden is on the merchant to use things like AI um, to understand why returns may be happening in the first place. And is it something that you can fix? Like, is it um, a bad product description or an image that's inappropriate that is driving people to purchase something that they ultimately return? Um, Or is it that there are certain shoppers that are the biggest returners and some of those people may be returning with nefarious intent in mind. And if that's the case, are there are there other things that you can do to, to improve your operations without adversely impacting um, the experience for the 99.9% of consumers that, that interact without nefarious intent? So that's one stream is, are things like returns. But in retail, even though e-commerce is substantially bigger than it ever was, the vast majority of retail is still happening in physical stores. And one of the big media stories of the last year is uh, smash and grab theft, particularly in urban centers. And this is actually a, a global phenomenon. I mean, you know, you hear and see this in, in Europe as well as in in the U.S. And this has been, you know, you know kind of a pervasive issue in, in a lot of developing countries. But, but it's basically where, you know, because there may not be security in a store, a store may be meagerly staffed because store associates have been explicitly told not to confront anybody who is um, stealing or potentially violent, you have basically, you know, kind of a very easy way to, to, to take stuff from shelves. And you combine that with the fact that in a lot of these dense urban markets, um, the police may be very busy and aren't necessarily prosecuting these crimes. And you have e-commerce marketplaces, which are extremely liquid ways or they they allow for the liquidity of these stolen goods um, because you can then sell these products you, you know kind of and, and make a profit on them and the e-commerce marketplaces generally are not liable for um, for for you know kind of essentially being fences so that's sort of the backdrop. What that means is that stores have gone to the extreme of putting things behind plexiglass. And you walk into like a Walgreens in um, Midtown New York and everything from shampoo to toothbrushes to makeup, just about everything that you could want to purchase in the store is behind a lock that you then have to call 
the one person who's working in the store to unlock for you to, to purchase that item, which is actually terrible from a shopper experience standpoint, because it's just not pleasant. Um, you have to wait. It is an experience we're not used to. So I think that the question that will emerge is, are we going to get better at making these stores safer so you don't have to have that kind of a customer experience? Or is that going to be the default, in which case you're almost going to have to change your operations and everything becomes buy online, pick up in store, because that's the only way that you can guarantee that things aren't going to be stolen in a smash and grab scenario. It's interesting to think about, number one, quantifying the risk, right? I know a lot of CX leaders think about let's quantify the risk versus the potential for a better customer experience. Um, So navigating that with how many bad actors are there actually, what sort of what is the cost of the shrinkage or to put use the lighter term for us. Um, And also, um, what new experiences can emerge from the challenge? So even if things are behind plexiglass, how do we, to your point about earlier about wayfinding, how do we create a great wayfinding experience where since I can't reach and look at the back of multiple bottles without it being super awkward for an associate, how can I understand what's on the back of those bottles before I even go to grab one? So there's actually a lot of really cool opportunities that could emerge from that challenge that I'm seeing. Absolutely. Um, certainly, we, we're we seeing more investment in things like augmented reality and being able to, you know, kind of look inside the box, so to speak, for, for a lot of goods that I think will likely grow. Um, it's such an obvious use case, right, for um, for leveraging technology in your phone in the physical store. There's, you know, Amazon is rolling out a technology they called Palm One, which is essentially biometrics to even enter a store. So that would also substantially make theft a lot, lot harder. So you may not have to deal with, um, with plexiglass. Or even if there is plexiglass, maybe there'll be some sort of facial recognition or other biometrics that could trigger the opening of of that case that so you're not dependent on a on a human to to do so. So so absolutely there are I think all kinds of interesting technologies that could emerge from this for sure. I mean, you could think about, for example, if on those locked cabinets, there maybe there's a QR code so that you can scan that and get to the product description information and, you know, look inside the box or, you know, what have you, which again emphasizes what, or, or, or reemphasizes why all that digital content that you've been investing in is so important. Again, not just online, not just on your mobile phone, but absolutely in, in the store as well. So some options there. So a lot of what you're describing, if, if we look again some a, a lot of our CX research over the years, it all supports this concept that emotion is the key driver of loyalty for most brands. And a lot of what you're describing here feels very strongly like, hey, retailers, you don't trust us. So like, where's, where's the kind of emotional design that comes into making me feel a bit more at home when I have to scan my face to even get into a gated store and scan a barcode to get access to read a product? 
That's a great question. <laughs> and I don't know that there's a fabulous answer to it. Angelina's point that, you know, it, it's the reason that laws exist, right? It's like, you know, it's not that everybody's going to violate something, but, you know, you create these these frameworks or these um, systems to protect against the downside of like maybe a few bad actors and you create a terrible experience for, for everybody. And I, you know, kind of, is there a way to get around that I I don't know I don't know that we're going to you, you know kind of get around that without some sort of a technology solution or some sort of a self-identifying solution that requires more data from the shopper to self-identify as like, you know, I'm a loyal shopper, I'm, you know, kind of a, a good person or whatever, you know, it's almost like you need like a TSA or a clear level of certification these days to shop in some of these stores. And, you know, is that a great experience? No, of course not. But, you know, I don't, I don't see an alternative. It's unfortunate, um, but but it is it is what what it is, and I suppose that that's one of the things that will likely catalyze e-commerce growth in the coming years. Is that if you don't want to have to deal with that kind of an experience, you'll just shop online, and the e-commerce companies will presumably treat you a little bit better. Assuming, assuming, because they have other issues as well, like porch piracy, and you know, kind of other other concerns around their own version of loss prevention. And I think that the, if you think about the experience of using biometrics, and I've absolutely tried it, maybe it wasn't all about the emotion perhaps, but wow, did it feel easy and effective when I uh, walked out of the store with my groceries because I had already checked in using my palm to identify myself and therefore pay very, very easily. So as long as the shopper is comfortable with this, it, it can actually be a good experience also. The idea of friction in a shopper experience is is not new. I mean, if you look at like one of the most popular retail formats in the last few decades, it's the warehouse club, which is full of friction on so many levels. You know, you have to have, you have to buy a membership. You have to show the membership card to even enter. Um, in some of these cases, you have to showcase the membership card at checkout. There's limited inventory, um, limited options. You know, uh, you have to, there's no shopping bags they give you, you know, so it's a lot of friction, but yet the shopper loves that experience. And the one lever that that they have is price. They have value on their side. And that is something that even in spite of what may be what we would construe as a negative shopper, a customer experience, that there is a positive experience that the shopper gets nonetheless. You know, and, and you can look at other sectors too, like luxury that offer, you know, other value, even also in spite of pretty shoddy customer experiences. You know, you walk into a store on Fifth Avenue, a luxury store, and, you know, kind of people look you up and down as if you're, you don't belong there. And, you know, kind of that's not a great experience either. But yet, you, you know, kind of the the customer, you know, is often there because of the the quality of the merchandise or what the brand is able to offer them in other ways. So, so I, I think that you're describing you know, kind of we're introducing new friction that didn't exist before in certain scenarios, like say, for instance, a convenience store or a drugstore, but this is not unforeseen. And it is important to lean into then other parts of what you're offering, like, for instance, the quality of the goods, if that is 
one of the things that you have to grapple with. Thank you for those two predictions. Of course, there is more and there's more detail on those predictions. So we would love to just hear an overview of what else they could find if our audience goes to Forcer.com and reads the report. Yeah, one of the big ones is, uh, you know, it's the big topic of the year, which is generative AI. So we talk about that. We talk about some other technologies like immersive training, virtual reality for, for store associates. So so there are a, a few other things that, that I hope that people check out the, the document. So that is a quick tour of some of our predictions. And as Angelina says, you can find more on Forrester.com. We're going to record a couple of other episodes. This one will probably come out first. So as you listen to them, hopefully this one will be the first. We'll, di- we'll dive into some other industries as well, so stay tuned. But it just remains to be said, thank you to producer Julia for the edit that you're going to do on this. Thank you to Fiona and Sucharita. And thank you. And thank you to producers Ellie and Julia, without whom none of this would happen. If you want to get in touch, email us at cxcast at As always, you can find us at forrester.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to like and subscribe and tune in next time for more CX Insights. 